At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. Castle Tower by E. J. Lipston. What strange dimension was this where giants, gangsters, libretto bulldozer, dwarfs, and Van Winkle lived at the same time? Too bad, Griffin. Hal Jenkins said to the man alongside. Now, if you just, if you had just stopped at bank stick-ups, you'd be all right. Nah, Bob Gibson, 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 Griffin said. He mouth twisted a wide grin. I'd been all right if you just stuck on the traffic cop. But you had to show the commissioner you were on the ball. So he sent you after me. That's all. The light suddenly flashed over the pilot's compartment with its warning to fasten safety belts. A few seconds later, the stewardess came around with smiling raining. They were coming over some bad pockets. And they were. There was no need to worry. Both men fastened their belts, as did all the other passengers on the giant airliner. And after a while, the elevator began its ride. Griffin reached up and pulled the air vent down, so the cold air the upper reaches at which they were flying could send its refreshing drafts of air down the vent. Jenkins had been as airsick once; he wants it any more or the same. He followed Griffin's gaze and looked into the grey fog of a, of a huge cloud bank. Jenkins got to get to get his mind off the possibility of being sick again, took up where the other had left. Yeah, but like I said, you should have stuck to robbing banks. He leaned from face the unusual bone structure which made it face of highlights and plain surfaces. Broke into wide angled grin. He threw the stock of black hair with his eyes and continued. Guys like you never learn. Gotta work with a heater. Griffin and plaque eyes shifted from the greyness which had encircled the plane and met the dancing grey ones of the detective beside him. Griffin's lips mimicked the grin of the other. But his words were not so light hearted. Look, copper, you got lucky. If you weren't for that dame, Nah, I should have been smart. I should have known she was she had of some. No dame can ever keep a yap shut. But get this, we ain't in, we ain't in yet. So be smart and don't think. But Griffin's flying, not yet. He isn't. Yet, Jake is a detective of rather amiable sort. In Griffin's case, however, he would not help. But give up the occasional needle. The hoodlum and the murderers bragging rasped on Jenkins' nerves. Now, don't blame the girl, Jenkins said. She was just the last step of my trail. The guy who really talked was Bud Griffin. 
There is a character who never stopped talking. If you don't talk to the barkeeper, the joint of the waterfront, I've never found out about Myrtle. But he knew Myrtle, and the kind of girl she was. He knew she only went for hoods, her dough, and not a guy who drinks beer like you do, leaves her no tips, ought to have dough. But when Myrtle walks in with a pleasured fox jacket and sees you bought it, he gets mighty suspicious. It's just a cliche then, but all I had to do was tell the girl she's going to be named an accessory after the fact, and she spilled a load. Pinpoints of flame suddenly danced in Griffin's eyes, his hands lying quintessent on his lap, curled in balls of bone and muscle. Griffin and many weaknesses of the all, anger was his greatest. For in the heat of anger, he could do anything and not care about the consequences. He proved his undoing many times. His last surge of anger resulted in murder during a robbery. The victim resisted Griffin and had been shot in cold blood. As always, the anger showed invisible signs. They came to pinpoints of flame or the eyes, the clenching of fists, the odd curling on the mouth. But Jenkins eaten evil because he did not know the signs. He signs, because he is so wrapped in his own glory, did not notice the other shifting movement. When Griffin struck, he was with electric speed. Certainly, he had nothing to gain by his tack on Jenkins. For had he fought it out logically, he would have realised there's no way to escape. Even a fool would have realised there was no way of getting out of a plane which is flying at 10,000 feet and coming down alive. Unless he had to shoot. So it's sheer berserk anger which prompted the attack. Griffin's right elbow shot up and sideways, landed with tiny force against Jenkins' jaw. At almost the same instant, he slipped loose of his safety belt. Well and his companion struck him two savage bows with his fists. These blows stunned the detective. Like a snake in movement, Griffin's hand reached for the pistol in Jenkins' holster and drew it. Days as Jenkins was, he tried to stop Griffin. A barrel of the gun slashed a furrow in his cheek for the try. The blow rocked the, rocked the detective's head back, allowed him to get out of his seat. In an instant, he was in the aisle, leaping for the pilot's compartment. He had no plan. He wasn't even thinking. In the background of his mind, he knew the panic he had created. He could see it reflected on the face of the woman in the front seat. The wide, sudden, terror-stricken eyes of the man at her side. But what he was going to do when he reached the closed door, that was his goal. He did not know. The screams and hoarse commands for the rear and stewardesses shouted for him not to go beyond the door. Griffin reached, and went, reached it, whirled and faced the blink for the plane, a snarl his lips and a point thirty-eight in his hand. A small barrel threat of death, whatever was thought to have fallen enough to attempt to stop him. There was no one who was going to be a fool. Whenever Jenkins was, whenever Jenkins was just dazed by the last blow, where he really thought he could stop the other, is a matter of conjecture. But as he rose to his feet and started forward, a stumbling run. Come on, copper, Griffin grunted. A smile, a terrible smile, 
just patient on his lips. Ah, oh, been waiting, wanting to knock you off. Anyone on the plane froze in horror. The gun muzzle came up. The thing on the trigger tightened. A sort of slow motion action. So it seemed as the smallest pressure could, would set it off. And still Jenkins stumbled forward. Till only a couple of fleet separated the two. Then the grin became the snarl on Jenkins Griffin's lips. And all knew the instant of death had arrived. Jenkins must have felt it also. He took up the last few steps in a, in a shambling one wide arm leap, as if, if, as if he's welcoming it. His arm, it was at the instant the co-pilot decided to step through the door. The steel door slammed against the bone figure, the gunman, as he pulled the trigger. The gun went off with a roar. Jenkins hit Griffin with a tackle, slamming in into a ball carrier. But louder than the pistol sound was sound from without the plane. It was as if all the furry hell broke out there. The plane began, came a straw, sucked, lit a straw, licked upward and outward, sucked downward and inward, in some vortex of sound of furry, which was completely unrecognizable. It was the same, some, as if some external force venting its spleen on the craft. Space of switch seconds. Time a picture forms in the mind, a plane or the occupants lost their meaning. There was a great dreading sound, and following the disintegration, a great ship into space. Harold Jenkins felt himself spinning, whirling, falling into vast empty fog. There was peace and contentment in that fog, a sort of forgetfulness. There was nothing above and nothing below. Just grey murk for a last sense of awareness. Jenkins saw not a few far from him. Buddy Griffin describing the same durations as his own. There was a wrenching above his bowels, a tearing his brain. Consciousness leapt over him. A noose of the hound man. A piping voices penetrated Vulcan's brain. He stared and rolled over, and after a few seconds, got his hands over under him, and pushed himself erect. He felt rather than saw the tree close to him, and put one hand out its friendly trunk, steadily leaning himself against it. He said it came off a second. After a second of his eyes cleared of the fog before them. He stared at belief. He looked out over a great valley. In a distant main plain, by brilliant light of the sun, he saw a tremendous castle, May turreted immense sides. It shimmered and danced in the brilliant light, like a mirage conjured by a fever, fevered mind. If he knew about being told, it was real. As real as three tiny men regarding him with passionately intent, though oddly frightened eyes from a few feet off. But the sight was not the only sense of which Jenkins had full use. He was aware of an odd rumbling sound in the distance as thunder, yet not quite thunder. Notice of gnomes also heard the sound, but her eyes turned from the tent regard of him. Castle perched in, on the Messia in the distance, could not see their eyes now, yet he was aware they held fear, cold, numbing fear, fright to get it great, so great it binds over controls. For a stone statue of a man, even a dwarf, 
They held their poses, even after the dying sounds of strange rumble and passed in the distance. When Jenkins spoke, it took several seconds for them to bring attention to him. Where am I, and who are you? Their answering voices were childish pipings, making even less sense of a confused situation. I'm Lottie, said the smallest, who wore a fringe of a beard with his forehead, all the way round a pointed slant-like chin. I'm Grainio, said the second, his hooked nose is so long it almost touched his chin. I'm Mercurasus, said the third, who had a round face and bulbous nose whose colour was that a ripe tomato, flapping pointed ears, too large for his face, a pair of perfectly round eyes. Yeah, but where am I? Jenkins has persisted. In the land of Matt. All three piped in unison. Slowly the brain fog was clearing for Jenkins. Miracle was landing safely and still not quite clear. Nor could he understand the presence of these odd beings. The reason returned to Jenkins. It told him something had happened, which would perhaps be unexplainable. He pointed towards the castle. Who lives there? Do you see the A? They answered again in unison. There is a familiar name. Jenkins thought. While in the same time a horrifying idea occurred to him. If this, if it were Lucia Brodera, he thought, then he must be, might be dead. Suddenly there was a spell chilling roar, vast crashing the amber bush close by, tremendous boulders sailed by, disappeared over the lip of the chasm, and chasing echoes could be heard for a long time afterwards. Jenkins recovered his balance and gnomes had disappeared. Jenkins' eyes narrowed in search for them. But after one look at a thick underbrush, he decided turned aside and began to search for a path leading either through the bush or down the steep sides of the cliff. There wasn't much choice, he discovered. In fact, there was no choice at all. Ho-ho! A Styrian voice bellowed, seeming from a, his very heels. Look! What do, what do we have here? Once again, Jenkins did a parrot. Facing him were three men. They seemed to have come in a series of threes. He scrawny place, scrawny place. He thought, but these were quite different from the gnomes he had first seen. They were giants, all dressed in so manner. Each wore the skin of a wild animal draped about him. Only their middles were covered. Their vastly broad and hairy chests and legs all were like tree trunks, stood in a naked and unprettied relief. They had not known the touch of razor for a very long time. The beards reached almost to their waist, while their heads were crowned with tangled growth, a wildly brush. Each man was armed with a spiked club, which is resting and he regarded the stranger. He's mine, one said suddenly. I saw him first. No, the second said. You're the youngest. I'm the oldest. I get him. And I'm the strongest, said the third. I'll take him. The last one didn't wait for a reply, but leaped for Jenkins in a clumsy leap jump. I think he didn't want to wait for him. Stepped aside as the giant came on. As he was, went past Jenkins, tripped him by simply putting out his leg. The giant went sailing off into space. He stumbled over the lip of the chasm. His scream of fear was drowned in roars of rage which came from the other two. 
They came at him, spread all the feet, their clothes raised high, their mouths open, their eyes slitted in rage, but they were slow and clumsy, and Jenkins danced out of range. The giants recovered their balance, turned, came at him again, this time from the opposite sides. Jenkins waited until they were almost upon him. Before moving, the two of them two had their clubs raised as they ran, and just as Jenkins leaped, they swung their murderous weapons. If it wasn't for the deadly seriousness situation, Jenkins would have found humor in it. For the swing, for in the swing, both missed him, but but one of the youngest caught his partner squared in his skull with a spiked club. The chicken one fell like an ox at the slaughter. Stabbing sounds of rage came on rainy giant. He beat his eyes with red rimmed and his voice shook in passion. He charged again. Once more Jenkins bounced away. But this time the smile was wiped from the earthman's lips, and his moving step struck against a protruding root. He was sent he went sprawling backward. Rage turned to triumph. The club came on high, began its ascent. Jenkins could only watch it horror. It in horror. The terrible club gained speed, terror, in immensity as it descended. Jenkins seemed chained to the earth by power greater than his will. A power a club was inches away. Jenkins closed his eyes to it and made a silent prayer. There was a stale thud. The club dropped from the giant's hand to the ground. Another thud as the group body of the giant landed. The breathtaking force against the, that of the Earthman. Jenkins grunted in pain. He shoved the uh, figure, sprawled across him, and rolled it to one side. Breath whistled through his nostrils. He rose and brushed the dirt from him. He wondered duly how he had been saved. They are children, a voice replied of his unspoken question. And you like children, they can't reason. A whistle came from his lips. This time, he did a double take at the figure which confronted him. She was standing not three feet from him. A tall, limpsome figure, dressed in sheer costume, which hid her figure, yet left enough to be seen to trance the eye. Midnight black hair, beautifully carved throat perfection, with her nose and lips, eyes haughty as a queen's made up the rest of her. She could only he could only stare, open mouthed in adoration, lost in her beauty. A faint smile touched her lips. She advanced towards him. He caught the movement of others, also for the corridors of the corner of his eyes, so that she was not alone, come alone, tending her with mailed bodyguards bearing sixteenth century armour. I thought the others came along, Lucia said, but now I see I was wrong. He's up there. You'll have you'll be up there too. Up there, Jenkins said, I asked, somewhat foolishly, pointing the castle in the distance. Yes, up there. Come along now. She turned and moved away from him. The male men took a place. This time Jenkins made no move to protest. Long stars and small noise. His men carried in their belts, made foolish aid. Attempt to fight them. It took a great deal of time left to reach the castle, and Jenkins wouldn't have thought possible. Yet there's no means of transportation. Other walking, the castle was much like one Jenkins remembered in a movie he'd seen.
huge drawbridge swung down over the wide and deep moat before the peculiar walls of the castle. Triumphants sounded on royal guards ran to appointed places for the guards at the castle's entrance. Beautiful creature nodded in acknowledgement they salute as she stepped past them, Jenkins at her side and the eight bodyguards to the breast, walking behind. Thus they proceeded up the long and narrow courtyard through an, another, another entrance into the inner courtyard which preceded the entrance hall properly, proper to the castle. Things happened at a great pace, greater pace than from then on. A signal man, a signal man came forward, took Jenkins from them, and then it is turned to a woman. He bathed, shaved, and dressed in a wonderfully big-cadded gown. He returned. It was to find her in an immense banquet hall. She motioned him forward and bade him sit to her right. His eyes were wide when he saw who was at left. Griffin, dressed in a gown similar to his own. Hi, chum, Griffin said. Nice way at her. I like him, Dissia said. She signalled for the food to be built in. He has such he has such ill manners, such a boyish way of expressing himself. Jenkins swallowed in haste. His eyes took in the rest of the company around the table. Never in all these days of police work he seen such a collection of cutthroats. Yet they, as he had addressed finery, was a worth of fortune. They saw his stare and answered him by grins, but somehow the power to make his blood run cold. Ah, she continued, they like, like you, I see. Oh, well, oh, well it's company fit for Baudra. Baudra? Lucia Baudra, the infamous prisoner, the most hated woman of time. She turned for another quick look and wondered how a woman with such beauty could. He shook his head violently. Again, she seemed to be to read his mind. My beauty is something I had nothing to do with. Perhaps you may come to hate it. Suddenly a vast anger filled Jenkins' breast. His nostrils dilated in passion. When he spoke, his voice was hoarse with it. Look, I don't know what's going on. Whatever it is, I don't like it. Now get this. I'm a cop. A character sitting alongside you is my prisoner. I'm going to take him come hell or high water. A rebel laughed again, which swelled to a roar as he finished, and one who laughed the mildest was India. But tell me, my voluptuous wilder, she said in dulcet tones, how will you do this? I don't know, Jenkins answered, darkly and somewhat foolishly, but I will manage another thing, he went on with after a few words, seconds. What's with this rigmarole you're playing? Rigmarole? Voice broke in this tinkling laughter. Oh, come now, we didn't play games here. I'm really Baudrillet. So let's, let's us, us up. Talk to Lipson will come later. The servant was placed a dish before Jenkins, which had the most appetizing odours. A rose, salava, formed in his mouth. His empty belly remained in him. He hadn't eaten for a long time. He raised his fork and started again, but the gesture was never completed. The suddenly became aware. Every eye was on him. Every mouth was twisted a grin. The laughter hung silently in the air, ready to explode at any first second. They were waiting for him to taste the food. 
Murphy's fingers dropped the fork, and Jenkins gulped with all that was audible. He knew why the grins of stairs. Food was poisoned, yet the others were eating, loudly grasping, tearing at the food with fingers and jaws, eating as though it was the last meal they, they were ever to have. Come, man, eat, the woman said between mouthfuls. She, like the rest, held little gold for manners. I'm not hungry, Jenkins said lamely. It's too bad. It's so good, Lucicia remarked. Her eyes were daring him. There seemed to be dozens of courses, and Jenkins grew hunger grew with each serving. Ball and hunger seized his breast forever. Anger also gnawed at him. Anger got the better at last. He shoved his chair from the table, and it Chattered backwards at a stumbling leg. All eyes turned to him, uh, to him. He struck his hands on his hips. His head shoved forward, chin jutting out like a rock. I've just had enough of this, Jenkins announced loudly. I'm going, and you, Griffin, are coming with me. Gone now with the smiles, gone with the laughter. The eyes were cold and oddly expectant. Jenkins grew aware of the tense silence. He grinned and began to withdraw slowly. Okay, he said softly. So I'll go alone. Not even that way, Lysindia said. My guests leave only at my bidding. Though her words were a command, two of the men on opposite ends of the table rose and started for Jenkins. Their hands were wrapped about the hilts of the sword and struck in their belts. Jenkins continued to retreat slowly, though, until his foot struck against a chair which he shoved back. Then he moved like greased lightning. His right hand swept ground around, gathered by the chair and flung it skiddily in across the floor, so he wound up among the folds of the war boob, worn by the men, one of the men. At the same time, Jenkins leaped towards his other would-be attacker and chopped a, a right hook, his whispered chin, his signal for a rather general rush of Jenkins' direction. Jenkins wasn't waiting. He hadn't been wait, had waited to see the effect of his hook. The instant a blow was delivered, he turned and leaped for the wide entrance. He ran with all speed, his mind busy trying to remember the turns and danger points which might be lie before him. There's no need for that. He discovered the shouting voices bade an alarm, fought other guards to brought other guards to the chase. Jenkinson came to sliding halt, came and turned, made a turn in the corridor. Grim was still wide in his lips. His captain brought him back to face this Indian. I find it unseemly, she said, as a girl forced him into a chair. That a guest should feel so strongly about not wanting my hospitality. Surely I have not been amiss. My attention? So, if so, I must remedy that. A roar of laughter went up at that words. Therefore, she went on, you will do, we will do more than we have. Take him below and make him feel as welcome as he should have felt from the beginning. Swipe steam from the dank walls. Feeble light came from a pair of torches set into wall blankets. Light was offset by heavy smoke and ridiculous torches came forth. A dozen cloaked figures stood around an almost naked figure of a man. Chained wrists, ankles, and neck to the wall. 
Then he dragged in front of the chained man and facing him was another man. A look of cunning cruelty to his face. The one chained to the wall was Jenkins. The other man, the man facing him was Griffin. Look, my friend, Lucinda Berger said to Griffin. All about you on the infants of the trade. Here, she pondered with dately, gesturing fingers to many tongue whip, is a tickler. The witch, to make this full dance, when he tries, why, why here? She pointed to something which looked like a coal shuttle. We have a bucket in which he can rest his wearied feet. Of course, you may have to heat it a trifle. I'm sure you wouldn't mind. The other shuddered in glee, the humour we found in our remark. Jenkins listened in bitter silence. The only visible sign of desperate feelings was a tiny trickle of blood which seeped from one corner's mouth and ran down beside his chin. He had given up staying against the steel trains which bound him. He set too strongly into the wall. He prayed that he could take the physical tortures to be inflicted on him without weakening. Then Griffin was reaching... Then Griffin was reaching a steel tip whip and Jenkins braced himself for the pain. Make him dance, Alessa commanded. Prize needs music. Needs music. She stopped suddenly. As it came out, the others froze into listening attitudes. Jenkins had been aware of the odd sound for the moment, several minutes. It seemed that the others were too interested in what was going on down. A dark, cold, dark dungeon disturbed by sounds of the upper world. The sound of the mumbling a vibration rumble grew louder and louder. Suddenly it was an ear splitting crash. Dust and chips flew from the walls. A giant's descender screamed in wild terror. They are bowling again. As I was one another, and as everyone I won, every turn began to pearl mill race for the stairs, where there was only chain men left, and heard as their heels came together, ear-splitting crashes, well trips flew, many now tiny streamers of water lit from cracks of peeled in stone. Among again there was a roar, another crash, and Jenkins moaned in pain, huge chunk of rock struck his side and tore the flesh. He strained against the chilled trains which bound him, till he thought his blood would burst the bounds of his veins. He pulled again and again, until he could strain no more as he could fa- only fall limply against his prison links. His mind was favoured, his thoughts jumbled. He had to escape somehow. Again there was, a, there was heard of that terrifying, terrorising crash. He grasped and turned his head. Aside, a torrent of water poured from a fugitive and it dropped close to his head and shot into his face. He turned his head and felt a metal tear from the wall. His head was free, like a madman. Jenkins tried again. To loosen himself, this time it succeeded. There was a chain pulled free. Water dribbled from that spot. With a desperate intensity, Jenkins made a superhuman effort and pulled the chains binding his wrists. Pulling the chains came apart, tearing the flesh and leaving two raw wounds. When he was plain, he placed his fingers behind his neck and felt it still. After a few seconds of probing, he twisted at the nut which had separated from the bolt, a single easy twist. He did the same thing, the chain binding his ankles, and Jenkins was free. The last thing for laying chain fell from the water, which by now formed a deep puddle in the floor, splashed loudly as Jenkins raced against a new danger. What it was causing those crashing sounds 
There was also weakened the foundations of that castle. Water beginning to pour in perfect torrent from the many cracks. The stairs of the floor were not, was but twenty feet away he was chain, been chained. I've been in fact, been an, it, but even in that short distance, the water rose another foot. Jenkins took the wide stone steps three at a time, raced like a like whirled around the short curves. He oriented himself as he brought him down. He knew exactly what it where he was going. Danger lay in the very top of the stairs, but there they were heavily guarded. Yet when he reached the head of the stairs, not a soul was to be seen. Came cautious at then, being weaponless, Jenkins knew that to had to lie in stealth, slowly advanced until he was at the very threshold of the large bayonet banquet hall. Now he heard voices, voices raised in anger, allowed his most thrilled these voices, with one that commanded attention was the lack of Lucia Boucheray. You fools, don't heads, when is this over? I shall have you all flayed alive. Not any of you recognize the king of giants, and one of who is fighting the stranger? Now they are bowling against us. And who among us can challenge him? I can, baby. Jenkins recognized that voice. Wonder Griffin. Bat pins, ten pins, or any other kind. I'll match my hook with the best of them. There was a short interval of silence. When Lucy broke it, she spoke in more natural tones. It isn't giants I'm worried about. I've seen them bowl. They rely on strength only. The dwarfs are ones I'm worried about. We beat them last time because they used a man from Earth. He got, he, we, he, we got him drunk. They were cunning little men. Are you sure, my friend, that you have the skill? But Jenkins didn't want to hear the answer. You, Griffin, had skill for Griffin, his varied and chicken career, had once won an ABC tournament, the clue in which he had been able to trace Griffin, trace across the continent. Griffins peered into the hall, and then they all clustered around the woman, listening intently to a word. Certainly, he fled from the banquet hall, a steep, single leap, crossed the open courtyard, but now he threw caution to the winds. Oddly enough, he came, he could have walked, for not a single guard was seen even at this gate of the door to the drawbridge, though the bridge was up. Jenkins didn't hesitate for an instant. He dived in. The waters of the moat closed over him, but the moat was not wide, nor is it deep. Ten strokes he was across. The moon flooded the night with light. His path was clear before him. Out of reaching the opposite bank, Jenkins stared, studied the depths of the forest. But just as he reached, a procession marched out. At the head of the three dwarfs, Jenkins had first met upon recovering consciousness. Behind him streamed a host of the other dwarfs, and from that was an evidently another path of the forest. Came another procession. Possession. Although this group was not a large in number, its size and men were gigantic. The two processions saw Jenkins at the same time. Both groups started towards him. It had not been for the three little men. Jenkins couldn't imagine what fate might have fallen him. How? shouted the dwarf called He's the one who's taken him to the castle. Come on, friend, we go to the castle. The bowl for good ruin. The rules and made a mistake which might free us of our rule. She made it one new a giant brethren to be killed by one of her men, and now we must go bow against her champions. See, Marius carries a ball. Jenkins looked at the one whom Lottie had jested, 
and saw in truth the little man was carrying a bowling ball. A ball that was no way different from those Jenkins had himself used in his world. I, Dottie continued, where they are again. Now we have again the chance to rid ourselves of her shackles. Leads of the giants joined them while they were talking. Well, them interrupted. I, Lottie, is right. We've sent the builders down against them from the heights. Now we got to we go to bowl. Jenkins grinned as he started back for the castle of terror, which he had just quitted. He blinked in surprise when he saw the drawbridge had been lowered. Drifts and giants were apparently expected. They would have certainly been amazed to see him. You listen here, exclaimed when she saw him. How did you escape? He shrugged his shoulders and stared coldly to a bit of her eyes. You found back him to motion her men to follow. That way was lit by torchbearers and led up the winding path which ended a level bit of highland directly behind the castle. There was a grass laying smooth as velvet. Here were the grounds of combat bloodless just but just as decisive as a single alley far end of which ten stood ten pins. Jenkins measured the burn alley his eyes and measured it but just the length of conventional a bowling alley back stop was built up of earth and soft enough so that the pins would not splinter on striking it we all know the rules they said to said to the victor goes around on our land to lose us slavery therefore let us begin since I hold the title, I choose I have I choose to have my champion bowl last. The giant man bowled first against Lottie, just as Lucinda said, his speed but that was all. Lottie was a much slower ball, but one that knocked down more pins than his hits. The giant got too many splits and railroads to be able to beat the little man. And after a short wait, Griffin took the waddy against Laddy, Lottie, and from the first ball, Jenkins saw the little man stood no chance. Griffin Hook worked beautifully, the velvet logo slung. He literally swamped the Lottie, whose shoulders slumped in weariness and discouragement. Griffin struck out. And so we remain slaves once more, Lottie said, and the pin setter set up the last rack. Once, well, we had that man could rip my ankle bold. I thought we had a chance, but she got he got him drunk. We lost this mat that match. Now this the sender was elated. Last strike scattered the pins. She sprang up to Griffin and planted his seed on his. My champion, she crowned. Now we should take care of those big little creatures once and for all. Once I'm ge- for once I was generous. Now I'll be otherwise. Maybe Jenkins suddenly broke spoke. But not for bowling. I'm now I am now of the people here. I challenged the winner to, to, to the two matches. Not each caught by his true other's words. He speaks true. He has a right to challenge it is true, Jenkins asked. Winner has a right to give terms. I Lottie said. Then that's bowl, Jenkins said. He tried to grip the bowl, Lottie passed him. His two finger grip just too small. Challenger Jenkins had the bowl first. He measured the distance carefully, tried to figure out the angle into the ball pocket, took his free step one and let his ball go into medium swing. Ball hooked it exactly, left a four sec- seven split 
A laugh rose from his inner followers, but a silence fell among them as Jenkins made a pick-up. Nice shot, Copper, Griffin said. He stepped up the bowl and made a strike. From then on, they matched strikes to the frame when Griffin hit the head. Pin directly. I got a 710 railroad. He picked up the 10 pin. Jenkins had gotten the 9 count and made the spare. In the 19th, in the ninth frame, Jenkins struck. Griffin stepped up, wiped his right hand carefully against the trousers he had donned and took aim with great care, sent the ball back down the side of the alley. It looked nicely. Again, hit the head pin directly. Only this time, the six, ten, four, and seven pins were standing. So badly shot was he by the big bad break. He fumbled the ball as he started for his second shot, but he recovered quickly and neatly made his bear the four pin, barely grazing the ten. Score as they started the tenth frame was two oh six for Griffin and two oh nine for Jenkins. Jenkins knew he had to mark the la- at last to win. A double to make it close if that Griffin got to, got to double. Minutes went by while Jenkins made his last sight. Then he took three quick steps and got the ball, let the ball go. But as he reached the foul line, Jenkins slipped. The grass began, became slick. All the running being stunned to its surface. A ball, instead of hooking, went straight in. It took a very bad railroad. A tail ten. Griffin's side leaf was only second. The sound was break to break the silence. The Griffin stepped up for a second shot. He knew there was not but what there was one chance to make, one chance alone. If he could put, if he could but get the ball over, just right, it make the four slide over against the ten. Thunderous roars rent the air, and piping screams of delight. The giants and dwarfs saw the bee. Dreaded four split, ten split made. The strike Jenkins hit with the last shot was only climax. The score stood of 249 for Jenkins. Nice shot, Griffin. So he stepped up. But all I need is a double. He flew and a ten bits fell. His second ball was also a strike. And just to show you how good I am, Griffin declared, held the ball for the last throw. I'm going to make you four, just four pins. So you won't feel too bad. But he didn't. For what happened to Jenkins happened to him. He felt also slipped to the grass. This time he got three pins. The score was tied. Suddenly Jenkins sat down and removed his shoes and stood erect. He wasn't take a chance at his last ball. That was all in a tie. One ball until it broken. Tie broken. Strike was just a strike. No question what Jenkins knew. The instant he released the ball, right in the pocket, Griffin's ball left the hard one, the ten-mark pin. Griffin was still stooped, his hands on his hips, his face forlorn, and Jenkins' hand fell, fell on his shoulder. I'm going to take you, taking you in, Griffin, Griffin, Jenkins said, and come hell or high water, I'm going to. Griffin shrugged his head, hand off as he whirled on the other. Don't be fool, he spat. Do you think we're, do you think we're live? Where Menka was? Jenkins secretly. I think we are too. It's quite right, my friend, Lotoretti said, as he stepped up and went to them. I sent you back, both of you, back to the time and place of leave taking this instant. Jenkins fell away with blackness. 
rushed over him, a terrible wrenching as his endwards. A sudden thrust, he opened his eyes and looked about. There was a pain in his left shoulder. He could feel his sticky wetness running down his arm. Griffin stood before him, and in Griffin's eyes was a dazed look. Behind Griffin, the door of the pilot's cabin swung crazily. Before Griffin knew what hit him, Jenkins had leaped down upon him. He took one blow, a terrific blow, hook to the man's jaw, and Griffin slumped to the floor. What happened, Jenkins asked, as a series of bandages his shoulder where Griffin's shot had caught it called him. Why, she said. He shot you, went backwards. Then, it's the only way I can describe it, you seemed both to freeze for an instant. You see, you knew you were covered. The flight was over. But Jenkins knew better. He knew that a few seconds, space and time had changed with several Griffin. It was a lucky bowling match. They brought them back. The End Bet MGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at Bet MGM. Simply download the Bet MGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C.